0: Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School lesson for the 6th of June of 2021. So we're halfway through this year and uh, enjoying the cool weather. I hope you are. It's been uh, unseasonably cool and rainy and all of that, but we'll probably uh, look back on these days fondly in August, won't we? June 6, 2021. And uh, as we've been talking about uh, the questions and answers in the New City Catechism, uh, this one comes up, and it's particularly important. And yet, I'm going to make a prediction. Most people, most church people, will see this question and go, Oh, well, I already know that. And yet, here's the thing, and this is what I've said all the way through this whether you know these things or you don't know these things, if we don't talk about them, then some people are not going to learn. And uh, I was kind of startled just the other day. The Southern Baptist Convention, of which we're a part of, lost over 400,000 members last year. And that's on top of some... uh, I believe it was 200 some thousand the year before. That's on top of having the lowest number of baptisms since World War II. And we were significantly smaller then. Uh, Things are not looking good. And then when you look at the church scene in general, it's not just us, but Methodists and Presbyterians and others just losing members like crazy. Now, we decided about, oh, 30 years ago, maybe, that what we needed to do was update everything. We've got to make it where it is appealing, where it looks like something Hollywood would put on. And uh, churches started changing. Our church even has made some things that are different than they were uh, 25 years ago when I came and uh, sometimes it's like putting on a fresh coat of paint sometimes it's like taking a shower or something it's just clean it's fresh it's it's good but i think what is wrong and what is dangerous is we changed our philosophy from glorifying and honoring god and preaching the word back in um, oh 1996 when i came here Nearly every church taught verse by verse, book by book through the Bible. Now there are not very many of them that do. Back in 1996 when I came, people expected to come and to be confronted about sin. They expected to come and to hear the truth so that they could repent and make corrections and be more pleasing and honorable to God. But then the change came that said, no, 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 you can't do that. You'll offend people, you'll drive them away. And what you've got to do is make everything comfortable for lost people, and you've got to try to make it to where people don't feel bad when they come to church, but they they feel good. And I think now the verdict's in, look what it's done to us. Now, I know that there are some large churches And there are some churches that are doing well. But overall, church attendance is really going down. And uh, even in our own convention, we're losing members. And it seems like, to me, again, I'm not against change. I'm not against uh, some of the contemporary methods. I don't mean to imply that at all. Again, it can be like a fresh coat of paint or new furniture or something like that. I am against, though, the philosophical change. We've got to remember that we are here not to draw crowds, nothing wrong with having crowds. We're not here to make the world pat us on the back and say, oh, what a great group of people you are. And let me just say, there's nothing particularly wrong with that because in Acts, I believe it's the second chapter, the early church found favor with the people. We ought to try to be the kind of people that the community looks at with uh, a positive attitude. So don't, don't misunderstand me. But our goal really should be glorifying God, equipping believers for witnessing, for life, for parenting, for whatever it is they do by teaching the word of God, And then we've got to reach out to lost people. We've got to evangelize them. I was uh, listening to uh, my wife's conversation with one of the ladies in our church. And this lady had two different instances of uh, where she had been witnessing to someone. Well, we've got to get back to that for all of us. And we've got to take it as our personal responsibility to aggressively reach out. It's not as easy as it used to be, but it can still be done. And it's still the way God has ordained to do it. And then we've got to engage our culture. We're not always going to make the culture happy. The culture has moved. Have you noticed how rapidly it's moved? And, uh, you know, even some of the transgender stuff, we really didn't talk about that the way we are now, even like five, six years ago. That has come in like a tsunami. And uh, a lot of churches, and I'm afraid even the Southern Baptist Convention, are kind of backing up on some of that instead of moving forward. So we've got to be careful about all of that. And I say that to just tell you That some of these things that we think are so easy, and everybody knows that, not everybody does. Not everybody understands about this. And our question is, who is the Redeemer? Last week, we talked about the fact that we can escape hell through a Redeemer. Well, who is the Redeemer? Some of you who have been saved for a long time and been a part of a church, our church, or churches like ours for a while... You might be surprised at the answers you would get from young people from younger people let's say and by that i don't necessarily mean teenagers even though i would include them i'm talking about college students who are no longer sure about jesus about their faith and i'm talking about the millennial generation that are in their 20s and 30s right now that's the group that is bailing out on church the fastest nationwide. That's the group, the generation that we're losing or maybe have lost. And why is that? Because they don't really believe, they're not really sure about the answer to this question. And this is why we've got to make sure that everybody is up to speed on this one, that everybody understands this. Who is the Redeemer? And the answer is, the only redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for you and for me, we would hear that and just kind of go, yeah, yeah, you know, so what? Water's wet. But that is now in our culture a very controversial statement. That's one of those things that is going to set us apart from other people, it's going to make people feel uncomfortable to be offended. And yet we dare not back down from it because it's the only hope that they have. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let me back up again. The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin in himself. Now, when you look at that, that is good, good, good news. God didn't say just figure it out. Try to be the best you can. Work hard on self-improvement. Because then we would always be wondering, did I do enough? Did I repent enough? Did I correct enough? Did I change enough? I may be better, but did I do enough? And we would always wonder. And we would live in a state of... Um, flux. We would live in the uh, sure hope I have. I sure hope I make it, and that's a terrible way to live because the Bible says that we can have assurance. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. It says in the book of First John, and so we want to know, and we want to know that we have. Followed the right path. That we are trusting in the right Redeemer. It's not you. It's not me. It's not a church. It is Jesus Christ. First Timothy two five. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So uh, when you combine that with verses that um, tell us John fourteen six, Jesus said, "I am the way." the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me kind of clarifies it doesn't it when you think about um, where the bible says for there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved kind of clarifies it the bible pulls this all down to a very narrow well that's expected because jesus said the way that leads to heaven is a narrow way and the road that leads to hell is a broad way. So this broad way is an all-inclusive. Believe what you want. Think what you want. Uh, choose any God that you would like to have and bring them with you. Have a multiplicity of gods and ideas. You're okay. I'm okay. No one's wrong. What's true for you may not be true for me, et cetera, etc. cetera, et cetera. And uh, what is it then that the narrow road says? It's only one way. One way. Back in the um, 70s, some of you will remember the Jesus movement. And do you remember their little deal? They would hold up one finger and they would say, One way, one way. And we've lost that. I mean, did you ever think that a group of hippies could teach you something? And yet the hippies that got saved and were baptized in the ocean, one way. That's what we need to get back to. There's only one way to heaven and only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. There's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So he's the one that we go through in order to get to God the Father. Now, without a redeemer, what happens to us? Well, let's answer that with point number one. Without a Redeemer, we are spiritually dead. Now, again, you probably already know that, and you're probably not wrestling with that. Now, if you are, I'd be happy to talk to you and uh, help you with that. Your Sunday school teacher will be happy to talk to you and help you with that and all of the implications of it. But without a Redeemer, we're spiritually dead, and we've got to never, ever, ever forget that. And we need to act accordingly as we witness, as we try to uh, invite people to church, as we try to do the work of the Lord, as we try to teach the Word of God. For those of you who are Sunday school teachers listening to this, you probably got some people in your class that you wonder, what's wrong with them? Why aren't they interested? Why don't they come consistently? Why do they act so bored when they get here? Well, the answer very well could be because they're lost. And you can't make a lost person do what a saved person does. It's not a matter of education. It's not a matter of any of those things. Until the Holy Spirit teaches them and gives them faith to believe and draws them to the cross to repent of their sins and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, they really don't get it because they are dead. Same thing that happens when you're in a church service. Why does one person say amen and get moved or get excited or get fed and another person can't wait to get to the restaurant? What's the difference? Well, one may be saved and the other may be lost. Uh, You can't expect a lost person to do what a saved person does. And when I think about those of you who work in the children's department or the youth department, for a lot of those people, a lot of those kids, you're dealing with those who have never been saved. And so here you've got a, a child who's maybe 10, 11, 12, and they're saved. And you've got another one who's lost. What do you think the difference is going to be? Because even an innocent child, see the air quotes, innocent child is dead in trespasses and sins. Same thing is true with teenagers. Sometimes we try to take them and we want them to have fun at church. We want them to be involved in church. We want them to kind of embrace the things that we do at church. But here's the problem. If they're lost, then it's all going to be superficial because they're spiritually dead. Now, if they're saved, of course, there is hope for them. And so you've got to treat them accordingly. There are some people in your class that don't really, I mean, they may be like a parrot who can recite some of this back to you, but they haven't really embraced it. They need to hear the gospel. There are people in our church that attend every week that need to hear the gospel. There are people in our programs for our children and for our youth. They need to hear the gospel. Romans 1 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it and we might add alone, is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so we've got it. It's gospel, 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 gospel. It's not your salesmanship or mine. It's not our persuasiveness. It's not how influential we might be. It is how clearly do we present the gospel? That's what God uses. Without a redeemer, we're spiritually dead. Now, Typically, we go to Ephesians 2, but uh, we've Ephesians 2, everything to death. We're going to go to Colossians 2 and read verse 13. Paul says to the Colossian believers, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Well, we work down through there and notice that he's talking to believers. You, this is you. And so we don't forget that when we're dealing with dead, lost people, wherever it may be in business, in our neighborhood, in our schools, even in the church, we need to remember not to just be condemning of them because the Bible says they're condemned already. I don't want to add mine to that. We need to remember that what they need is life. And they need to be given the life that comes through Jesus Christ, which only comes about through the gospel. And we need to remember furthermore, that's exactly where we were. And brothers and sisters, I just want to remind you, if God saved you, and I hope you are, he can save anybody. And if God can't save anybody, then you don't really have the assurance that he saved you. This is something that we've got to get in our minds. We were just as dead as they were. You move on down through the verses, and it talks about that God made us alive. I don't make you alive. There's no ritual that can make you alive. Baptism doesn't make you alive. The Lord's Supper doesn't make you alive. Attending church doesn't make you alive. Hanging around Christian friends doesn't make you alive. It has to be the work of God, the work of God, and God alone can do this. And he does it together with him. Who's he talking about? Christ. We're raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. Resurrection life and resurrection power is now in you, and it's now in me. And it's just really sad that we don't realize that and live in that power. And notice something else, too. Having forgiven us, look at the next phrase, all our trespasses, your sins, even the ones you haven't committed yet, have already been paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What God does, he does completely, and he always does adequately, and he always does it abundantly, he does it right. So when Jesus is on the cross, God the Father took all of your sins not just part of them and he put them all on jesus christ and jesus is the one that says it is finished or "tetelestai" is the greek word meaning completed finished and it talks about like a jail sentence has served you had 30 days the romans would write your name on something like a chalkboard and they would put your penalty 30 days and then whenever your 30 days was up, they would write to tetelestai. Same word Jesus used on it. Sentence is paid. It's finished. It's done. It's complete. It's paid for. It's a word that uh, you might want to use if you had borrowed uh, $500 from somebody. On that day that you pay the last penny of that loan and you complete the $500, then this person might put the uh, word to on your record book. It means finished. The debt is paid. And that's what Paul is making reference to. Christ has paid for all of your sins, and that's why you have and enjoy what you do. You formerly were dead, but now you are alive in Christ. You see, sin brings us total inability to do anything that pleases God. You see, a lost person out there that gives food to the poor, we might think, well, at least God is pleased with that. No, he's not, because it was done in sin, it was done by sin, it was done for sinful purposes. If we could only see the heart, we would understand all of that, and that's what God sees. There's nothing that anyone can do outside of Christ to bring them into favor with God. Now, I want you to think about, and this is extremely important, I want you to think about death. When somebody dies, let's say that it's you, and I mean, you are just a you could eat pizza 365 days a year, three meals a day. You love it. And you die tragically, God forbid, but you do. And we have you in a casket. And I'm standing up there with your wife or your husband, as the case may be, with your kids. And we're saying, oh, oh, if only he or she would, would move or talk again if only I could hear them speak. Now, just to be honest, if they do, I'm the first guy out of here. But let's say that we uh, decide we're going to try to do that. And so we order from Hideaway Pizza, we order tons of pizza, and we bring it in here and we open it up, and the smell of pizza fills the room. And you try to entice that dead person, to, oh, you love pizza, wake up and eat the pizza. You know what's going to happen? Nothing. You take somebody that, whatever it is that they really like, whatever it might be, cars, whether it might be candy or whatever it might be, name it. If you put that in front of a dead person, you get zero response. You know why? They're incapable of it. And so when we hear the gospel, it's not up to us It's not the kind of thing where we do something or we respond to something until the Spirit of God, what the old uh, King James says, quickens us. What does quicken mean? It means he gives us life. And so when we go out there to try to witness to dead people, when we try to testify of God, teach the Word of God, get people excited that are dead about the things of God, not going to happen until God does a work in their life. Okay, let's move on to number two. We've got to hurry. Without a Redeemer, we are hopeless. You know what hope is? Assurance. Some miners one time were trapped in a mine for a long time. Some of them died, but quite a few of them were still alive When the rescue came. And you know what the survivors said? We knew you were coming to get us. Now, that's the definition of hope. It wasn't that they crossed their fingers and hoped for the best in a way that was just wishful thinking. It was that confident assurance. We knew that you were going to come. And so when we read the Bible and we find the promises of God, what is it that gives us hope? We know God is going to do that. We know that in his good time and according to his good pleasure, God is going to do everything that he has promised. But notice how it is before we're saved. Now we'll go to Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, in other words, Jews and Gentiles, which uh, is made in the flesh with hands or by hands, remember that you were at one time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. We'll just stop right there. Having no hope. Alienated. Strangers. All you had was just a human ritual that can't get you anywhere. All you had was just try harder, do better, and uh, cross your fingers and hope for the best. The Bible says that without Christ, those who are not redeemed, they have no hope. And we're living in a hopeless world. We're living in a world filled with people who don't know what to do. And then when they do what they think they ought to do, or if it feels good, they do it, then it just blows up in their face. And they can't figure out life. They can't figure out money. They can't figure out relationships. They can't, I mean, you name it, they can't figure it out. This world is an absolute mess. Why? Because you're never going to find hope in the world. You're never going to find hope in things. You're never going to find hope in friendships. You're never going to find hope in success or titles. The only hope that we have, it comes from Christ. I'm reminded that in the book of Titus, the apostle Paul writes about Jesus and he tells us that um, we are looking for the return of our Lord and Savior, waiting for the, he puts it like this, our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many lost people you think are looking for Jesus to come? How many of them do you think are anticipating it with eagerness? Well, if you're saved, you ought to. That's the blessed hope. Christ is a hope. Our hope is not in a thing or in an institution or in a ritual. Our hope is in a person. And Peter calls it a living hope a living hope. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through his resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's a beautiful and a wonderful thing. I am attached to a living person who gives me life through his resurrection and gives me hope because he's returning and he keeps his promises. Number three, with the redeemer though we have life in Romans chapter 3 21 through 26 but now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all is for all who believe for there is To know God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, it's important, both just and the justifier of the one uh, who has faith in Jesus to be the just and the justifier. It doesn't exist in our world. You're either the judge or you're the defendant, but you're not both. You're either the jury or you're the defendant, but you're not both. And so when you think about being in court, you're either on trial or you are the one who is deciding what is going to be done to the defendant. But God In his mercy and in his great plan, he is both the just one who makes judgments, who determines sentences, and he is also the justifier because this God died in your place and took your punishment upon himself. So when we look at this, we realize that it is through that, what has God done? He has given us life, real life eternal life eternal life never ends eternal life is not just an extension of your present life eternal life there's only one who is eternal and that's God so to receive the eternal life at salvation means that you are receiving the life of God it's no longer yours it's his, and it will never die. It will never end. It will never fail. Somebody say amen to that. And number four, with a Redeemer, we have freedom. Christ saved you not to put you in bondage, but to set you free. You say, well, doesn't the Bible say we're slaves to Christ? Yeah, that's because we've been set free and we willingly We willingly submit ourselves to him. We love him. In John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Let that hit you. How is it that you say you shall become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. In other words, if you're a slave, you may come and go. You're not really a part of the family. When it says house, it means a family. But if you're a son, you're always a part of the family and your descendants are part of the family as well. Continue reading. So if the Son sets you free and the Son is s o n Christ sets you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you and you do what you have heard. From your father And he tells him, at one point, "Your father is the devil." And what does this mean that we are free? Well, we're free because of truth, and there is nothing more true than the gospel. There's nothing more true than Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth and the life. and knowing the truth has set us free. And we're free to believe. there's no chains holding us back. There's no legalities holding us back. That day you were saved and the Lord said, come to me. He brought you, the Holy Spirit brought you to Christ. And he took you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you in the kingdom of light, right? He gave you new life. He gave you a right relationship with God. You no longer belong to the devil. You no longer belong to yourself or this world. You are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are free to believe and free to follow Jesus. After him. And isn't it interesting that you can also be freed from deception? These Jews, they professed to be believers, but they really weren't, were they? I mean, you can tell that by the context and how the paragraph ends that you're following your father and you want to kill me it tells me that you're not following my father, is basically what Christ was saying. And they made this statement, a ret- ridiculous statement they said we're the offspring of Abraham we've never been in bondage to anyone you ever read Exodus you ever heard of Egypt and Pharaoh have you ever heard of the Babylonian empire the Persian empire the Greek empire and in the day that this was written when they were speaking right then the Roman empire are you kidding me But there's something about us without Christ. We want to think we're free. When people come and they say, you ought to be able to have sexual relations with anybody you want at any time and no consequences. And what do we get out of that? Sexually transmitted diseases are rampant right now. Why? Because the devil promises freedom but he's actually wrapping chains around you. But Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come, let this sink in. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, that's my prayer, is that you, because you have a Redeemer, will know the life that he gives, the hope that he gives, and the liberty that he gives you through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the gospel. Share it with somebody else. It's the only hope that they have. Be bold about it because it's truth. Never have to be ashamed of the gospel and let it fill your heart and let it minister to you every time you hear it that you know the love of God through Jesus Christ. God bless you and thank you for taking the time to join us for our Sunday school lesson. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again next week.